You guys can go ahead and have a seat. And as you do that, um, let's open up this time in prayer. Father, you indeed are good. You are the Lord of all and all that we need. Father, I pray now that as we um, come together, as we come together over your word, Lord, that you'll open it up, that you'll open our eyes, and that you'll speak your truth into our life today, and not just to make us wiser, not just to make us puffed up with knowledge, Lord, but to walk out of here and live lives that honor you, that glorify you. You're the Lord of all we need. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I remember the very first time as a family that we flew on vacation. Our oldest boy, Andrew, was about three years old, and it was just impossible for him to wrap his mind around the fact that we were going to be flying in the air. He just couldn't understand it, and he had so many questions. And I thought, okay, I don't really understand how it all works, but I thought I can handle the questions of a three-year-old. I was wrong. Our conversation went kind of like this. Andrew came in and said, Daddy, how are we going to get to Disney World? I said, well, Andrew, I said, "Um, we're going to fly. It's going to be great. We're going to fly. He said, Daddy, people can't fly. I said, Andrew, you're right. I said, but, but we're going to be on a plane. He looks at me and said, well, how does a plane fly? I'm not quite sure, but I gave him the three-year-old answer. I said, it has wings. He said, kind of like a bird? I said, exactly, exactly like a bird, and I think the conversation's kind of over. But then, out of left field, he hits me with a theological question. How does theology come into this? He says, Daddy, does God make planes? No, Andrew, God doesn't, people make planes. People make planes? I said, yeah, and, and I'm not quite sure, but this makes sense to me. I said, Andrew, I said, um, there are these really big factories, and, and they have metal and plastic and all kinds of stuff, and they make it, and then they put wings on the plane, and, and, and there's tires, and there are engines. And he said, tires and engines like a car? And I said, exactly like a car. And he said, Daddy. Cars can't fly. And it was at that moment that I realized that I had lost because that was about as far as I could go because really I knew as much as he did about flying. I mean, I've, but, but even though I understood so little about flying, that had never stopped me from going to the airport and getting on a plane and hopping in this metal tube and just believing that even though I couldn't explain it, that it was undeniable that planes can fly. That you go to the airport, you get in, you you never think, well, how does this work? You just get into the plane because you know it's going to take you there. You can't explain it, but it's undeniably true. I had a friend used to work with at a church, and we were supposed to go to a conference, and we were supposed to fly there. And we got the tickets, and we're all set to go a few days beforehand, and I started to realize this guy's terrified to fly. And about a day before, he said, Tim, I know we're supposed to go tomorrow. I'm not going. There's no way you're getting me on a plane. And I thought, well, didn't have a lot of luck with Andrew, but I think maybe adult to adult, I can kind of talk him down. And I said, Justin, here's the great thing about flying. The great thing about flying is this. When you get on that plane, one of two things are going to happen. You are either, in a couple hours, going to end up at the conference, or you're going to end up in the arms of Jesus, It's a win-win. That is not at all what Justin wanted to hear. 
But I mean, come on. There are so many things in our life that we can't explain how they work. We have no clue how they work, but we just know it's undeniably true they work. I mean, I can't explain to you how a plane works, but I fly. I can't explain to you how the internet works, but I mean, all of us are probably going to be on the internet at some point today. For you, and I, I know this was true for me, when I turned 16, I didn't say, okay, mom, okay, dad, I know every other 16-year-old is going to get their license, but here's what I want to do this year. I want to go and take a class on the fuel-injected engine. I want to learn how to take apart an engine and put it back together. Now, come on. We didn't do that. You're 16. All you cared about were getting the keys from mom and dad. For me, I asked, I was 16, asked mom for the keys. A few weeks later, I hit a guardrail. Maybe I should have taken a class. But I mean, all of us, all of us, experience has shown us that you don't have to understand everything to believe in something. And every day we live by that principle, don't we? I mean, every day you use things, you, 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 go, you go places, all these kind of things you do, and you don't understand how the whole apparatus works. You don't understand how everything kind of fits together. You can't explain it to anybody, but it's undeniably true that it works, so you just go with it. It's the, it's the principle, and it's really kind of the point of this morning's message. It's the idea that in life, what is undeniable always overcomes what is unexplainable. And the story that I want us to look at today, it's in John chapter 9, if you brought your Bibles. It is, by far, I think, the funniest story in the Bible. You might not think the Bible is a funny story, but trust me, this is a funny, funny story. And what we're going to see highlighted in this passage is the tension that comes, spiritually speaking, when there are all of these unanswered questions, and all of, them, and all of us have them, no matter how long we've followed Christ or if we're not even a believer, we've got some unanswered questions about our faith. But what happens when the unanswered, the unexplainable, meet face-to-face with the undeniable? It's a fantastic story. We're going to be in John chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And here's how our story begins. Talking about Jesus, it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, So his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I think this is fantastic because from the very beginning of this story, Jesus' closest friends, I mean, think about what these guys had seen. These guys had seen Jesus heal the lame. These guys had seen Jesus bring people back from the brink of death. Just a few days earlier, these same people had seen Jesus have thousands of hungry people in front of him, and they took a little boy's lunch and fed the entire group. I mean, these guys have seen Jesus do the miraculous, but in this case, they missed it. And I love that about Scripture. I love that Scripture doesn't gloss over the airs, doesn't hide the fact where they miss it, because when I see the disciples miss it, I think there's hope for me. Because look at how this story begins. Not one of the 12, not one of the disciples, after seeing the blind man, not one guy walks up to Jesus and says, Jesus, come here. Um, the blind guy, how about, you, how about you do that thing you do? I'm not sure how that works, but come on. How about you give him a sight back? Not one guy asked Jesus to heal the blind man. Not one of them even, he's a blind beggar. Not one of them even takes up a collection. I mean, they would make horrible pastors, Right? I mean, not one of these guys takes up an offering to help the guy out. 
But it's one of the things for me that makes Scripture so relatable. A bunch of guys, just like you and me, who occasionally knock it out of the park. But more often than not, they just miss it. They mess up. They miss the obvious. Here, the story begins. They don't ask Jesus to help this poor man. They ask for a theological explanation on suffering. So watch what Jesus does. Verse 3, Jesus says this. He says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened, and this can just rock your theology. He said, But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus says, Okay, guys. You want to talk about theology before we help them? Okay, here we go. Try to wrap your mind around this. Jesus says, this blind man, he is not blind because of someone's sin. That's not the reason. But this guy has been blind from birth to serve my purpose on this day. Jesus says, hey, I know it sounds unfair that this guy has been suffering for 20 or 30 or 40 years, but if you guys just knew the whole story, people are going to be talking about this guy in this day for thousands of years. In fact, if Jesus was just kind of unpacking this whole thing, he would say his story, his suffering is going to lead some people to faith. Jesus says here real quickly, not all suffering is because of sin. Sometimes It's part of God's plan to reach people. That my suffering, your suffering, sometimes it's because we're stupid. (laughs) But sometimes God says, you know what? I want to use your pain to reach a dying world. And it doesn't feel like an honor at the time. But what a privilege. Story goes on. Says something here that just really doesn't even seem to fit in the story. Jesus says this. He continues and says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. For night is coming when no one can work. Big statement, watch this. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, this statement doesn't seem to fit here, but let me try to make it relevant for you. Here's what you're left with after this statement. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, you've really got about three choices. First of all, you can think Jesus is crazy that he's delusional. And if he's that, he'd make a horrible teacher. Or you can think, Jesus is completely arrogant. He's egotistical. And if that's the case, he's not a good man. The third option is that just maybe he's telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, if Jesus Christ is indeed the light of the world, then even in the midst of all your unanswered questions, That just demands a response, doesn't it? I mean, if it's true, it's a big statement. It's a game changer. But still, Jesus Christ, this man, the light of the world, that's hard to believe. And Jesus, as as he's there, he realizes the doubts and the thoughts that are going through people's minds as to the veracity of that statement. So watch how he leverages this opportunity. The story really kind of kicks off here. It's so powerful. Look at what happens. So having said this, verse 6, Having said that he's the light of the world and that kind of percolating in people's minds, Jesus walks over and he spits on the ground. He makes some mud with the saliva and he puts it on the blind man's eyes, which had to be really strange for the blind guy, right? He's sitting there. He can't see anything. Suddenly a stranger sticking mud in his eye. It's crazy. Go, Jesus tells him. 
washed in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is incredible. Imagine how the blind guy felt, right? Today is just like every other day. You're sitting here. You can't see see a thing. You've got your little cup. You hope people drop a few coins in it. And suddenly, you hear the stranger walk up, and you think, ah, it must be a kid because he's playing in the mud. And suddenly, the stranger, whoever this is, picks up this mud and starts rubbing it all over your face. And then he goes and tells you a pretty obvious thing. He tells you to go and wash. Well, of course, your face is full of mud. So somebody has to help the blind man over to this pool of Siloam, and he washes his face. Then the incredible happens. As he washes the mud away, he can see. So if you're him, what happens next? You don't go back to your begging post. You head home, don't you? I mean, you go back to the neighborhood. You go back to your parents. You go back to your friends. Because a day no one ever thought would happen has happened today. So he goes home. It's party time, right? I mean, forget New Year. Forget everything else. I mean, blind guy getting a sight, that's a reason to throw a big party. He goes home. Here's what happens next. Verse 8 and 9. He goes home. And his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same guy who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, nah, just looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man, I'm the guy, I'm the blind man. You see, this is what is so strange about this story. I mean, you've got this man who has been blind since birth. And now, suddenly, unexplainably, he can see. And it makes no sense at all. It's completely unexplainable. And before we get too critical here, I mean, that's us a lot of times, isn't it? I mean, we miss God because of these obstacles that we've put up. We miss God sometimes because of these questions that we just can't get an answer to. And that's exactly what happens here. All of a sudden, his neighbors, he shows up and he can see, and they end up in an argument because they just don't understand how a blind man can see. The story goes on, verse 10. They say, so how then were your eyes open? They demanded. We need an explanation. We can't believe until we get some answers. So here's what he says. He replies in verse 11, and he doesn't really know, at least not the details. He said, "Um, the man they called Jesus made some mud He put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. But who cares? I can see. I don't know how this happened. All I know is what I told you. I know it doesn't make any sense at all. Mud in your eyes does not give your sight back. It does not heal you. But who cares, guys? I can see. Verse 12, where is this man? They asked him, I don't know, he said. I didn't see where he went. Okay, I added that last part. (laughs) He's a blind man. He doesn't know where Jesus is. He didn't see him. Story goes on. It's just incredible. I mean, you're expecting a party, aren't you? So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. It's kind of like being taken to the principal's office, right? I mean, poor guy, his only offense is that this morning he woke up and this evening he's healed. That's the only thing he's done today. 
And here, if, if you're kind of doing this dramatically, the scary, ominous music kind of starts to play here because it says, now on the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Oh, Jesus. You, you should have known better than to do this on the Sabbath. Come on. You, you, you can't do that. It says, therefore, the Pharisees also asked how he had received his sight. And he said, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Is this where the party starts? Now it's official. The Pharisees can, I mean, come on. Is this where the party starts? Can somebody get a band? If we can't afford a band, get a DJ. I don't care. Let's dance. Let's party. I can see. I mean, this is it, right? Story goes on, verse 16. It said, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, this is where the story gets a little tricky for us. Let me reinterpret that verse for you. This man is not from God because we know what God is like, because we know what God does, because we've got God here in this little box. We know what God does and what God doesn't do. We know how God acts. We have God completely under control because we know God like no one else does. And since we know exactly what God is like and what God would and wouldn't do, we know there's no way that God gave you your sight back. End of story. That's what they're saying, right? And you hear that, and and your gut reaction is, what a bunch of narrow-minded, arrogant, egotistical people right? I mean, to think that they would know so much about God, that they would know beforehand everything God would or wouldn't do. Maybe not so fast. Because I'm not sure about you, but I know a lot of times I've got the same struggle. Maybe God calls you to faith in him, and you're here this morning, but you still haven't decided to follow him because you need to get some of your questions answered first. And questions in and of themselves aren't wrong, but they become an excuse for you to following Jesus. For you, the unexplainable has overcome the undeniable. Or maybe for some of you, maybe God has called you to serve, you in, to serve him in a new way, but man, as, as you've thought about it, there are a whole lot of questions. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to require sacrifice. It might require you to move or change jobs. So you keep saying no until you've said no so many times that it just becomes routine. You see, in this story, it didn't make sense to them. They had too many questions, so they refused to believe it. The story goes on, the end of verse 16. It says, but others asked. Everybody's got questions, so many questions. How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? In other words, it's undeniable the guy's got his sight back. So the people were divided. I mean, this is beautiful. There's this argument going on back and forth. Some people are saying, can't be from God because God would never do this. Too many questions. Some are saying, but come on, guys. It's got to be from God because a blind man, who hears of a blind man getting a sight back? So they're arguing back and forth. And slowly, the guy who can see for the first time in his life has slowly walked off to kind of the corner. And he's sitting over there. And he's thinking, I don't care. Can't we have just a little party? Won't somebody give me a piece of cake? Right? Finally, they turned around again to the blind man. And they said, this is great. What have you to say about him 
it was your eyes he opened. And I think he said it this way, more like a question. The man replied, he's a prophet. I don't know. I mean, I haven't even seen him yet. I don't even know what the guy looks like. I went home. I thought we were going to have this huge party because, guys, I can see. I don't know who he is. I have no idea why he healed me. I don't know if you're supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And, guys, I don't really care. I can see. Why are we so focused on what is unexplainable when we're missing what is undeniable? I can see. The story goes on. The Jews still didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. It's amazing. Now, real quick, why do you think they didn't believe that this man had been born blind? You know why? Because they didn't want to believe. Because this didn't fit their God paradigm or their God box. They believed, the Pharisees believed, and so many of us, we struggle with this, don't we? We believe that God is predictable. We believe that God is controllable. And they had no room for God to move in a new and in a fresh way. And see, listen, again, for some of you, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the challenge for you this morning. Let me tell you what you need to do. You just need to make some room for the possibility of God. You just need to make some room for the person of Jesus. You don't need to get rid of all your questions. That's not what we're saying. You just need to make some room for Jesus in the midst of them. And for the rest of us, we need to open up and fully surrender to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? You know what it means? It means we need to order our lives, our present, our future, our career, our finances, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. If you're here and you've already chosen to follow Jesus, if he's already called you and you've already accepted him, if you've already made him lord of your life, man, just let him have all of you. Join his plan. Don't, don't pray asking him to join yours. Story goes on. Reads this way. They call his parents, and this is just so great. They say, is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Now it gets tricky. His parents start with the undeniable. Watch this. They say, well, we know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. And I'm thinking, we don't care. He can get a job now, right? Then they look over and they say, what great parents, right? Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Thanks for having my back, Dad. Appreciate it. Now, his parents said this, and this this is very important. Next verse. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already, key part, For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And what that means, and and, and you think put out of 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 the synagogue, you go down the block to a new church. Not what it meant here. It means you're kicked out of society. It means who you can associate with, where you work, where you live, who you can marry. All those things change if you get kicked out. It's a really big deal. 
That's why his parents said, verse 23, he is of age, ask him. If you're following along in your Bible and you've got a, an, uh, a highlighter or a pen, you want to circle these verses or just focus on them on the screen. The verses or the words that say, already the Jews had decided. That's key to this passage. Because listen, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you feel like kind of picking on you a little bit. But come on, in this passage here, I just want to challenge you. If you're not a believer, just be intellectually consistent. Because for some of you, you haven't, you've got these questions, you haven't pushed through the questions to accept Christ. Maybe it's because of the way you were raised. I get that. A lot of us have family issues and faith, and that's all kind of mixed up. Maybe that wasn't a part of your life growing up. Maybe it's just some huge questions you have. You've suffered or you've seen somebody go through something, and God didn't show up. God didn't fix it. And it's hard to kind of push past this. But come on, I'm just asking you this morning, just allow for the possibility of Jesus. Don't fall in that already decided group. Because listen, if you've already decided, you're going to miss them. And again, for the rest of us, just kind of harping on this, I know. But if you're a follower of Jesus, don't let it be that you've already decided to what extent or how far you will follow him. God, I'll go this far, but don't ask me to go there because I'm not going to do it. Don't allow yourself to already be already decided how far you'll go. Because here's the truth. Here's what's undeniably true. People in life who are fulfilled never regret what they had to give up. And people in life who said no, who said no to following Christ to some new way, to some way they never could have expected, they live with regret every single day of their life. So listen, don't pray, don't ask, don't seek with a heart that is already decided. Open up and let him lead. Watch how the story starts to come to a conclusion. Verse 24 says, a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. How do you know that? Simple for them, right? Because we know what God would do and what God wouldn't do, what he should do and shouldn't do, because we've got God in this tiny little box. And therefore, since we know that this Jesus could not be from God because he doesn't fall into our God box. We know he must be a sinner. So now you, and this is incredibly ironic, so now you blind man who've been healed from blindness, reject the imposter Jesus and give credit to God. This is the next part of the story I love the most. Here's the punchline. Watch this. The blind man replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But there's one thing I do know. In other words, pause real quick. I don't know where he's from. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know why he healed me on the, on the Sabbath. I sure don't know why he had to put mud in my face. There's a whole lot of things that I don't know. But there's one thing that is undeniably true. In light of all these unanswered questions, one thing is undeniably true. You ready for it? One thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. And if he could go on, he'd say, and it doesn't matter to me if God is supposed to act that way or not. And it doesn't matter to me who sent him. To be completely honest, I don't care about any of that. 
All I care about is the fact this morning I was blind and now I see and I really wish I wasn't looking at you guys. If I could see anybody, I, you know, I would have picked somebody else. But it's undeniably true. I can see. And since I can see and this guy did it, guys, come on, he's got to be from God. Then they asked him so many questions. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Watch this. So good. So good. I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And you're like, yes, just give it to him, right? I mean, you're cheering this guy on. You wish you could be there. I mean, what an answer. I mean, he's, they're just pounding him, and this guy just comes out swinging. The story goes on, 28 and 29. It says, then, poor guy, blind his whole life, and then, and then, then today happens. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple, but we are disciples of Moses, trying to pull rank. And we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And since we don't know, and since we can't explain it, it must not be true. After all, they're the Pharisees, and they think they know everything there is to know about God. So we can't, and we won't believe it. Finishes up this way. It says, the man answered, now that is remarkable, verses 30 to 34. Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Guys, this isn't really hard to figure out, right? I mean, because when you heal a blind man, it's pretty evident you come from God. I mean, sorry, fellas, never been to seminary, never really studied much about this, but this is simple. This is first grade stuff. You heal a man, you're from God. Jesus has to be, right? He says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. Theology is a little off. But then he goes on and says, he listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Makes sense, right? To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, a few hours ago, this man was blind with absolutely no hope of ever seeing again. I mean, he didn't even consider getting his sight back one day. Then he meets Jesus, and Jesus heals him, and he goes home. There's no band, there's no party, no DJ, no cake. I mean, nothing for him. Instead, they call in the religious leaders, and they kick him out. See, it might be undeniable that you are healed, but until we can explain it, no way we're going to believe it. Now, this next part is one of the most tender parts of Scripture. It's so beautiful how the story comes to a close. Watch what happens next. Verses 35 and 36. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, you know what that means? That means Jesus went looking for him. You know what that means? That means Jesus said, yeah, whatever I'm doing is real important, but something else is more important. One of my guys, he's having a rough day. I got to go and find him. When he found him, next part, two words, he said. Now remember, be the blind man for a minute. You've just got your sight back. You've never seen Jesus. 
You have no idea if he's tall or short. You know nothing about him but that voice. That voice that told you to go wash in the pool and then then your sight came back, that is a voice that you will never forget. You're lost. You've been kicked out. Jesus comes looking for you, and he finds you, and he speaks, and that's the man. That's the voice. Look at what Jesus says. He asks him a question. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Well, ex-blind man, don't, don't you need an explanation? Nope. Don't you want some of your questions answered? Nope. Wouldn't you like to know why all this happened? Nope. You see, it's real simple for me. I used to be blind, and now I can see, and you're the man who did it, so you just tell me whatever it is I should do. Should I stand on one foot, pat my head and rub my belly? I'm in. I don't care what it is. You're the guy who healed me. Whatever it is, I'm going to do it because you're the man. Jesus says this to him, verse 37 and 38. He tells him, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And then watch this. And he worshiped him. I mean, how beautiful that worship must have been, right? And isn't it the perfect response? I mean, a man, honestly, who still had a whole lot of questions, he, didn't still, he still didn't know why he had been born blind. He still didn't know why he had suffered with blindness, why he had been poor his entire life, begging for help for, from, from the charity of strangers. He didn't know why that had happened. He didn't know why Jesus hadn't come sooner to heal him. Certainly, he could have come sooner, He had all of these questions, but when he stacked up all of those questions, good questions, against the undeniable truth that Jesus healed him, questions were still there, but they didn't stand a chance against what was undeniably true. The undeniable Jesus wins every single time. And listen, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, Some of the questions that you have, over time, you you can find answers to some of those. But listen, for those of us who are Christians, we'd tell you this. Life's going to go on. Your life is going to end, and you're still going to have some questions that you just never got a good answer to. But the challenge is to, and you do this in so many areas of your life, allow what's undeniable to overcome what is unexplainable. It's simple. Read your Bible. Just maybe most importantly, or one of the most important things, talk to other Christians. Find out their story. Find out what this undeniable Jesus has done for them. Because listen, he'll do it for you. In every other area of your life, you go with the undeniable. Give Jesus the same chance. And for the rest of us, the simple challenge for you today is this. Don't allow yourself to be in that already decided group. Don't allow yourself to say, I'll follow you this far. I'll accept what you've done for me, but I'm not, I've already decided I won't do this. Try, as hard as it is, knock down the walls of your God box because all of us have one. Follow him. Go wherever he leads. Let's pray. Father, you're good. You are so good. God, I know that I... 
even this day as I sit right here, there are questions that I have about you, questions of why certain things happen or why other things didn't happen. And um, God, I don't know if I'm ever going to get an answer to them. But Lord, I know there's other questions that I have that as time gone on, Lord, you've opened my eyes to answers for them. But God, all those questions, as important as they are, don't mount up to anything when they're compared with what you have done for me. Lord, that when I was kicked out, when I was alone, when I had no hope, you came looking for me. And it's undeniably true that you love me. God, I pray your spirit today just works in our hearts, works in our souls, our spirits, and just rises up faith, brings us to the place, God, where we can accept what you've done for us and we can follow wherever you lead us, regardless of the questions that may, that may be stand in the way. God, forgive me for placing you in a box. Forgive me for limiting what you can do in my life. God, help me every day to continually give you all I am. Father, I love you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, come fill us up in Christ's name.